Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Corey Rosen, and you're listening to The Story Podcast. I would just like to take a moment of silence, because today is 9-11, and for all those people who have perished on today. You know, it's really weird. Uh, every time this, this time comes around, it's like, where were you when the towers fell? Um, do you remember at all? Uh, I was in elementary school. And my teacher was at the front of the room, and she was crying, and she was telling us what happened. And I didn't understand how big of a deal it was. They sent us home early, and I remember it was on every single channel getting home. And I was, I remember being a kid, I was like, I didn't realize it was big. My parents were like, no, this is a very large thing that happened. And then we, I mean, the aftermath of just spending days, it was on the news. I mean, twenty four seven. Yeah, twenty four seven, and it was, it was, yeah. I, it's, yeah, it's a flashpoint event, right? It's of a course, flashbulb. It's something that we as a nation will, you. It's like you. It's a a memory that Bert like sears into your memory, and um, you you feel a need to know where you were. Right. It's um, like it's like if someone asked you where you were. Um, where when your parent died and you didn't right. know the right answer, the right answer, you you would feel horrible. Right. I and I didn't come up with that term. That's a term that scientists have been using for a while. But yeah, yeah, I think most of us remember. <laughs> the only reason I was two at the time, and uh, the only reason why I know where I was at was because my mother told me. Granted, uh, she was a high school teacher, so she was sent home early as well. And. Uh, she, when she got to the nursery that I was at, it was Little Red Hen. Uh, shout out to Little Red Hen as a daycare. Uh, however, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my mother was pissed off because I had gotten bitten again by the same child and nothing had been done. Uh, but that's the only reason why I remember 9-11. Or uh, I know where I was at, rather. I don't remember it at all. Obviously, you, you're not, you don't have distinct memories from being two. No, I, I, listen, I just, I know, I was a dumb kid. What do you want? But um, har- harrowing experience for sure to see it all the reruns. Um, and for those of you who have loved ones and everything that have died through that, our condolences. Today, our special guest is Caleb Stell. Caleb Stell is from. Well, in addition to being a tenured orchestra teacher at. Central Dauphin School District. Caleb has served as a violin masterclass instructor and chamber singer, chamber strings coach for Messiah's College's orchestra camp as an artist and resident for Jump Street PA and Council on the Arts. Caleb studies violin under Peter Sirotin, a concertmaster for Harrisburg Symphony, and has performed with the York Symphony, Shenandoah Summer Music Theater, the National Christian Choir, Totem Pole Playhouse, the Williamsport Live, United in Music Pop Orchestra with the Broadways, Michael Cavanaugh, Alan Berry Playhouse, and Open Stage of Harrisburg. He studies jazz improv under Grammy-nominated pianist Kirk Reese and has collaborated with local bands, Great Northeast, Rascal Revival, and Seasons. In January 2019, his playing was featured in the Lifetime Channel reality wedding TV show, Married at First Sight. In his spare time, he runs C-Style Music product, uh, C-Style Music, at cstylemusic.com, you can find that, uh, a music contracting business that provides a plethora 
of music groups for weddings, country clubs, political events, and parties throughout Central PA. Caleb holds a Master of Music in Orchestra Conducting from Messiah University, Romans 116. Which you will not make me quote verbatim. <laughs> you can find him at his website, cstylemusic.com. That's C-S-T-L-L-E music.com. C-S-T-E-L-L-E. Is that not what I said? You said one L. Oh, <laughs> Uh, Instagram, uh, it's the same thing what he said, or Facebook C style music wedding and events. How are you doing today? I'm feeling good. Yeah, uh, it's a rainy day, but it it's nice day. to be inside. And you know what a rainy day means? It means a cool week. <laughs> That's true. Oh my gosh, for sure. My house that I used to live in, we did not have any central air. We had a b- bunch of window units, and I mean, it was a hundred-year-old house, so there was no central air. And that was an afterthought, you know. But yeah, it's nice to have a cool week. I don't handle the heat very well. Oh, me neither. So tell me, where did music all start for you? Um, so I guess you, uh, a lot of it has to do with my upbringing. Um, I am a pastor's kid, so I was raised with music in the church. Um, uh, my parents were super supportive. Thanks, Mom and Dad, for supporting me in all the musical endeavors. Um, I sang in church, uh, and then I learned the violin. The violin was an interesting um, choice. So my parents asked me, they were like, do you want to take piano lessons? And my response was, no, I want to learn the violin. Now, the real reason I wanted to learn the violin was there was this one girl in our youth group who was like, I'm the best in the world because I play the violin and I'm brilliant, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, I need to show that girl up, obviously. Yeah, and she needs to take her down a peg. Yeah. Um, so that was why I chose the violin out of spite. Make her humble. Which is, you know. Before the Lord. Yeah. Probably wasn't my most. But, you know, it was a small decision. And I look back and I'm very glad that that's the decision I made. Um, we usually we actually took lessons from the same teacher, and she would compare me to him, and that was not healthy. Mm. I do not recommend that. And then I got a different teacher who I was with for a long time, and then I started studying from one of the professors at the university at Youngstown because I'm from Western PA. I'm not mm-hmm. from this side of the state. Um, and then I ended up going to Messiah for music ed, um, and. Then I got a job at Lower Dauphin. Now I'm at Central Dauphin. And, um, you know, I got relocated to Central PA. Um, Yeah, so that's where it starts, basically, within the church. Um, I think that's where a lot of musicians actually start because it's one of the safest places to perform. Everyone there is on your side. Everyone wants you to do well. And even if you do awful, they're going to say, that was wonderful. All the little old ladies in the back are, that was so beautiful. So, Or it's, oh, you're so cute. Right, exactly. So I think that it's actually not just for musicians, but even people who become actors and other things through skits and Mm -hmm. stuff. The church is really one of the, uh, you know, nourishing places where arts grow at, or start with a lot of young children. So, so did you know from, from like, at that point that you wanted to do music forever? So, yeah, I, I yes. Um, <laughs> I always wanted to do music. I mean, I, it just became my thing. I loved listening to music. I, I loved being, you know, uh the, the violinist. I loved singing. I did choir. I actually didn't really do choir until like my 
sophomore year of high school and then we like I went to all states for that actually um so singing and doing mu- I was in musicals for a long time being on stage for stuff so that was fun and you know I just I mean my whole world revolved around music it always has so like I mean, can I picture myself doing anything else? Not really. (laughs) I mean, uh, music is, yeah. So, during your collegiate career, Mm -hmm. what do you think is one of the most important pieces of advice that anyone ever gave you? Or did that come before your college? I would actually say some of my most important pieces of advice came after. Oh. Okay. So in college, I, you know, you're in the music world and music ed world, you're just trying to get through every day with, that, with the amount of sleep that you don't have. And you're just trying to get, you're trying to pass your classes, you're past your juries, you're trying to navigate life. I was in a huge relationship in college that didn't end well. Mm. So like, I would say my real like music world started out in the out in the real world which is actually good because when i was in the collegiate area um i had terrible nerves like Mm. so awful nerves and the way my nerves manifest is shaky shaking that's not good not good with a bow not Not do not recommend having shaky bow that guy's got insane vibrato (laughs) (laughs) it would be nice if it was on my vibrato hand that the shaking happened but it would it would always happen my bow arm got a killer tremolo uh yeah (laughs) everything was tremolo a little bit um so i think once i and i'm that is not me hating on collegiate i learned so much from my teachers i think just part of it was once i got out of that environment where music was everything all the time and you're constantly trying to push yourself. Once I got outside, I got to able to, like take a nice little breath, and then like be able to chill a little bit and like realize to not take myself so seriously. And people are people. Yeah, <laughs> and so um, and then recently I was re- diagnosed. They said I have a quiver. So if I had just you know, re- so they gave me a medicine, and now it doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> so. Um, but best pieces of advice probably was uh, something a friend told me. We were out for tacos, and he is a phenomenal percussionist drummer. Um, and he was like, when's the last time you practiced your instrument just because? Like, not practicing for a gig. And I was like, oh, crud. No, I, I can't think of that. And that was kind of like a wake-up call. I was like, yeah. So I was like, all right, I'm going to start going through all the etudes, all the stuff, non-gig music, and then... Then I was like, I'm going to start taking lessons again because, mm-hmm. you know, lifelong learning is important. And honestly, basically that one comment, I should really tell Mark that it changed the course of my life. But um, that really did change my mindset of, all right, okay, if I want to be serious about this and I want to do it, I need to put in the work. And like, it's actually kind of easier to put in the work when you're out in the real world because you're like in charge of it. And you, so easy. it's so much easier to find practice time now <laughs> than when you're taking classes. multiple classes. Yeah. Stuff that you don't schedule. Right. And, and honestly, a lot of those things are very important and you oh, yeah. use all the skills that I got from them today. But um, yeah, uh, practice, man, dude, just, you gotta, I mean, know your craft. And yeah. uh, I feel like, Taking lessons again, also having a mentor, someone mm. you can actually keep learning from, um, that is super important. Um, 
Peter's my teacher. He was my college teacher. Took a little break. Then I reached out. Now we don't we don't rehear, you know have weekly lessons like college, right, of course. but we'll meet every you know couple months. He'll give me enough to work on for a couple months. But I mean, even within our first couple lessons back after college, he like totally flipped me. And I'm oh my gosh, I well I think everyone looks back at different times and they're like oh man I sucked then. And like hopefully like twenty years from now I'll look back at me now and be like. Oh, oh man, that sucked. <laughs> but um, yeah, having you know, putting in the work, getting a mentor, those are the most important things, um, at least when it comes to being a better musician. Oh, absolutely, I highly recommend anybody uh, find somebody that you can trust and that you know mm-hmm. decently well that will be a mentor for you, because they're gonna push you. And you can't. Here's another thing: you can't be afraid to be pushed. No, no, yeah, you can't take things personal too. No, that there's no, uh, there's another thing. I think it was like Julie Andrews or something. She's like, there's no room for divas. Mm. There's too much work to be done, and so I think if you can just put your pride away, you can have so many more opportunities to get better, to get learn, so to excel, and you just got to put check your pride at the door. Just you know. So after college, you went for music ed. So, yeah, I went to college for music ed, um, and then I went back later for my master's in conducting. Uh, music ed, I did violin was my main, but I also did a lot of choir stuff when I was there. Um, then I went and worked for Lower Dauphin School District, um, where I did elementary music for two buildings. I, well, I did the strings of two buildings. I did general music, K through five at one building, and I did two choirs. Little, you know, I couldn't do that for the rest of my life, but I did it for like the first four years of teaching. Now I'm at Central Dauphin where I teach at four of the buildings, which seems like a lot, but all I do is strings, which is Mm. great. Um, And I set kids up. You know, I teach fourth and fifth grade orchestra. It's a lot. It's it's a lot of repetition, but it's it's important because I learned a lot of skills incorrect at the beginning of Mm. learning my instrument and slowly over like, course of my life i've been correcting them so if i can set up kids right from the get-go from the get-go i feel like i've done them a great service because they won't have to and even if they don't you know get it the fact that when they go to the middle school teacher and the middle school teacher says hey fix your wrist and they know what they need to do to fix it like that's all i need like they just need to know what's right and what's wrong and i'm still constantly learning because when I'm learning as a musician from my teacher, he is teaching me things that I then go and take and do, and do yep. with my kids. The way I taught violin at the beginning of my career, which is, gosh, makes me feel old, not like 10 years ago, is very different than how I teach the violin now. So it's like very, yeah. So then I, I did do my master's in conducting. Um, what made you want to get into that? Um, so I, so originally I was going to go to Duquesne for my master's and I got in because I wanted to work with the, uh, I think his, his last name is Bowman, I think. Um, or he is like a very, uh, big string pedagogy guy. And I wanted to go to music ed, get music ed and learn from him. Well, then the bill from Duquesne came. Of course, right, right. (laughs) And my district was already paying a large portion, but... It was they weren't gonna pay for the whole thing, and when I started looking at that bill, I was like, I can't justify going into like more debt 
to mm-hmm. just just for this, like you know, the, almost again, pride. Right, is, it can really hold you back. So I was like, all right, I'm I I can't do it, and unfortunately, I didn't because they actually discontinued the program shortly after. So I would oh. have been really really screwed because I would have had to figure out how to finish it. It was yeah. So then I like made a list of a bunch of different colleges, and I think I had it down to uh, Mansfield, uh, the Hart School, and Messiah, and. I called Mansfield about their like uh, graduate program, and they were like, "Yeah, we're discontinuing that." And I was like, "All right, well, that narrows it down." Go. So I had it down to the Hart School, which would have been like a lot of traveling up to New England, and then Messiah. And the only thing that was holding me back from going to Messiah was because it was my undergrad, right? Of and I was like, "The people at Messiah still have more I can learn." And then the only reason I I wouldn't go there is because of pride. That's a stupid reason stupid to reason. not go. So. That's where I did my uh, my graduate work, and we did. It was in conducting, which was awesome. I learned a lot. I don't get to use as much with elementary world my conducting degree, but I do when I get to like lead pit orchestras and stuff. And um, yeah, I mean that was very interesting. We did pedagogy classes and music theory five, which I, if you can avoid doing that, I recommend. Really, what's music theory five like? <sighs> I only I only went to music level four. Oh gosh, it uh it it it's a trial by fire kind of class. It's, like the first couple exercises, first couple classes are just like review of like your theory one two three. I hope so. And then like by the fourth class, you're like, uh, uh, you know, harmonic analysis. Not har- yeah, um, harmonic analysis of like lacrimosa, <laughs> and you're like, uh, uh. and then the end was like to do like a huge project on a piece of your choice. Originally, I was going to choose something like in the Romantic period by Tchaikovsky, and then my friends were like, you're being dumb. You need to choose something classical that's easy to analyze. And I was mm-hmm. like, thank you for, because then I just, so I did Haydn's 100, uh, London Symphony, just the first movement. And so we wrote down all the chords. I analyzed the melody. You analyze the form. You write papers and papers. And it was a long, long couple months, but we, I, got th- I got through it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds a lot like my orchestration class. I absolutely, absolutely hated. Oh, I mean, I, it's useful. It's, it's useful. useful. It's so useful. It's uh, and it's yeah, but it's but, oh. trudging feet, man. It's pulling fingernails. It's like if you want to know how some people are so good at what they do, it's because they pulled out all of their fingernails. Oh, during college. Yeah, and the people who are like good with that stuff, they're like really good at like, like they really good they, and they chose so people who like write or harmonize and i do a little bit of arranging for my contracting but I, not nearly to the point that like other people do but um you know i will say that the most useful bit of theory and where i use the most theory is when i have my jazz lessons mm. um we talk a lot about theory and i always well at first we would meet on saturday mornings at like 8 a.m do not recommend taking no. jazz improv lessons at 8 a.m. because no. your brain is not ready to think about theory at that point. So now it's like 10 o'clock when we meet. And even then, I still leave the lessons. And I have to record it. Like, I record my jazz lessons because I need to go back and re-listen to how uh, Kirk talks about the chords or just the different scales. Like, And the way jazz musicians look at scales is so much so different, different than the way we're taught in undergrad. Like, you know the 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 quintessential scale in the jazz world is the Dorian scale, the Dorian minor, 
And when you're like in, you know, undergrad, they teach you that's the second, that's the scale that begins on two. Two, yes. And, easy, yeah. and yeah, that's useful, but that doesn't help you. In um, context. Well, what happens is it creates another step for your brain to do. Right. You have to, you're right, all right, well, I'm in this cube, and I'm starting with the root of two. When instead, you're just like, oh, it's a minor scale with a, with a, with a. Uh, Flat two? Uh, well, the third is already flat. They oh, flat the seven. Flat the seven. <laughs> But the seven, Dorian. I thought that was Mixolydian. That, uh, now you're making me doubt myself. I know that for a fact. It's, yeah, that's it's the, flat six then, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I think so, right. yeah. Sorry. Man, wow, that made me look real bad on air. No, no, it's good, it's good. <laughs> I said five. I said whatever. But um, continue. Uh, oh, we, uh, we were talking. Scales. Scales. Oh, but the fact that they just look at the scales different, they don't have that step. It's just... Oh yeah, that's just what we do. We just play in that in that scale, and that's what we, we just jam in there. Um, actually, usually when I'm teaching, um, when I do the orchestra camp, we'll spend like one day on improv because like middle school and high school kids are terrified of improv, especially for in the classical world. Oh, um, sure. <laughs> they're like what? what and I guess before they would teach them like the one four five. Great, that's mm -hmm. useful. But it's it's intimidating still because you have to think about the chord changes where if you just jam in D, you know e, in uh, in E Dorian, right. that's just playing in the D major scale. Like every kid from the beginning of their string world knows how to play a D major scale. So if you're just tell them don't play anything that isn't in D major and you'll sound good, and it's it gives them the opportunity to like mess around, etc. Yeah, that's cool. Are there any other uh, scales? When you mention different scales used in jazz, do you mean like the different uh, modes of the scale? Yeah, yeah, okay. modal scales. I feel I like you meant like pentatonic or the blues. Well, or... pentatonic is you know is good, and that's the go-to for basically everything. Um, but Dorian, Mixolydian, and then your stand like that is it. If you think about it, like jazz progressions, the two five two, one, yep. that's what it is. Dorian, Mixolydian, Mixolydian, and then usually whatever your root. So. Huh. That's yeah, you watch this. Some jazz person is listening to this, and they're like, "That guy is butchering all of this." You stuff. Know, and that's okay because those <laughs> kind of people will write comments and correct. Oh you. yay! They so probably are get, commenting the, on Facebook right now. You get the proper. <laughs> is that, that's, some, that's always something I've always kind of done. It's like whenever I'm trying to look for an answer, I'll give an I'll I'll write the question and then give myself a completely BS answer because mm -hmm. people are gonna you know people are gonna be. They're not oh. going to go out of the way to give you the right answer, but they will sure as heck correct the wrong Correct one. the wrong answer. Oh, my gosh. And uh, to be fair, I have only been looking into the jazz stuff. Improv I've been doing for a long time. Right. But the jazz stuff is really within the last couple years. Um, and and I always have to, like, refresh myself before I sit down. Because, and the only reason I started doing the jazz stuff with Kirk was I was doing improv with these bands. And I was, in, you know, at first I was like, I'm really loving this. And I'm using all the tools in my toolbox. And then you run out of uh, tools, tools in your yep. toolbox. And you're like, the, you know, the audience likes it, you know. But, but I'm bored. Yeah. yeah, I'm bored with what I'm doing. I need some new tools to, to work with. Um, so that's why I reached out to Kirk, because I wanted to do that. Yeah, it's it's all fun and games when, when you have those toolboxes. Well, oh, once you play them uh, three times... Or four times. You or can five only times. do a hemiola so many times of right. a two or over three or a three over two before you're like, this isn't it's, as cool as I thought it was. Right. <laughs> the, the audience will go wild. Oh yeah. But you're you're sitting there like, oh, okay. 
Yeah. <laughs> how many times can I do this? Yeah, how many and, times can I do this before the audience understands, oh, that's my only cool hat trick? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and fortunately, you play enough gigs, then you go to different places that people aren't going to notice. Of course, right. Um, yeah, and you, I feel like the, the improv stuff, that, you know, there's a lot of um, violinists who that terrifies them. The whole idea really? of like, oh, yeah, oh, my gosh, yeah. You've been talking with a lot of band violinists and musicians like that. If you go to the classical world, so many music violinists are just like terrified of, or even just cellists, they're terrified of the idea of improv because it's not something to. we get taught. Really. Right. I think if your undergrad teaches you that, that's phenomenal and it's useful. But I mean, like it's it was supposed. To, I'm pretty sure it's like supposed to be part of our juries, but it never was part of our juries in college. Uh, but yeah, they're like, yeah, improv, play, a, you know, to play, you know, a Chris- I never had to do it. Right. So I didn't start doing any of that stuff until um, out in the real world, post-college, not as if the college is not the real world, but you know what I mean. Right, yeah. And, where... and of course, I also, the way I started it was church stuff. Mm-hmm. The church, you know, was a small church plant that I went to in Hershey. So, you know, they needed help on the worship team. Um, so, I mean, that's where I learned how to improv over, you know, prayer or whatever, or, uh, in Christ alone, Christ alone. Or, <laughs> yeah, 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 you right, know, yeah. or, you know, and your standards. And then that's how I learned how to improv. It's also where I learned some of my guitar stuff mm. and other instruments because it was a place that I was, it was a safe place to experiment, you know, right, and yeah. learn. And then. One night, my good friend, he invited me to go with him to band practice, which was the Great Northeast, which is, we called it a lazy bluegrass band, kind of like Wilco-esque music. And that, I played with that band for quite a while. Um, Eventually, kind of phased out of that band, and now I play more with Rascal Revival, which I know you've had RJ in Mm -hmm. here before. Great, great guy who I met on Craigslist. <laughs> it's it's mind-boggling to me the amount of people that I've talked to who have met on Craigslist cuz to me Craigslist is like a is is not a thing, right? Like it's not like, anymore. Oh my gosh. Yeah, but like it was it was yeah, now it's all Facebook marketplace right, or yeah. forums or or groups, but yeah, no, I just I had been like advertising I think my contracting stuff and then he I can still I still have the email like he must have wrote me like a Russian novel. It was like all this stuff about like what he wanted to do, and I said, "Oh yeah, I'll come over. We'll we'll jam." And as you've already talked about, all his his you know journey from our we were a three piece tiny mm-hmm. little group to now we're six pieces, and I I really do love playing with that group because it's it's like a jam band. You know, you get we all get to experiment. Every gig is completely different. Um, but I'm very grateful for the things I did with Great Northeast because I learned the band world a little bit better. Um, you, because in church, you know, you just, you, no one tells you, hey, you need to be quiet. This is my turn. <laughs> yep, and I remember, no yeah, there was, we had like a guest guitarist, like the guitarist from Happy Sally was playing with us for a while. He's like, can't stand that violin kid he just never stops playing and i was like oh okay so i need to learn to take turns and actually it's better when i take turns because then it actually makes the stuff that i play actually more important because it is a moment that i'm taking that everybody and you learn all the nonverbal cues with each other like 
no, you know, you do the nods or the yeah. leans, and you're like, nah, take it, man, or et cetera, et cetera, that, you know, nobody teaches you. No. It, There's no band. All right, playing with a band class 101. No, there really should be, though, because it, it's stuff that you got to learn. Because if you're caught in, if you're a deer in the headlights. Oh, I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, I know I'm just playing fun stuff that sounds good over this, but I didn't know, hey, get out of the way. You'll get your moment. Here's your moment. Right, <laughs> like, yeah. And that was, you know, you know, through the fire, you know, you get, you know, you get uh, whittled down to learning what you and refining and what you want to do and how you want to, you know, sound. And that goes for anybody who's uh, wanting to who's in the classical realm and wants to branch out into other things. It, it's kind of like an orchestra, right? You have you have the string section, you have the horn section. There's a time where the string, string section plays, it plays rhythm or it plays melody, then it switches to the horn section. It's kind of like it's kind of like that. You don't play the entire time whatsoever. If you do, you're play, you're switching roles. <laughs> right. right. Yes. If anything. And learning and learning uh you know, accompaniment styles and yes. trying to figure out things. Um that's where one useful thing from playing like mandolin just, you know, I heard of I learned about Chris Thiele, changed my life. I wanted to learn the mandolin, so I bought the mandolin. I don't play the mandolin that well, but I learned some chords on there, and it's the same strings on the violin. Oh, is it? Oh, yes, exact same. You have G, G, D, D, A, A, E, E. So I knew, huh. I knew like the fingerings right. easily. It was funny. My whenever I played it, my you know like same thing. Sometimes with my violin, my left hand was writing checks that my right hand couldn't cash because right, right, <laughs> yep. I had had ideas. But learning to play those basic chords on the mandolin, then when it went to playing bluegrass esque stuff, I was like, all right, I know how to play all these chords. Now I'm just gonna chuck or chunk those chords, and it helped that Great Northeast. We were a four piece. They're still together. I think it's it's like a duo right now, and they might be searching for a bass player. But it was bass, banjo, guitar, me. Mm. And the banjo player, the bass player, and I all played guitar, too. <laughs> so we always would just look at Joe's hands, because he was the songwriter, right. and we'd be able to figure out the song by just looking at his hands, which was a very useful skill. That's Yeah, that's another thing. If you're a part of a band, learn how to read guitar hands. <laughs> yeah, even, even if it's just your basic... One four five. One four five, six. and then just learn what the capo means, what key you're gonna yeah, take it up to. Means, yeah. And one thing that's beneficial while playing the violin is it is a movable. Like you can, all right, we're going up everything. They're going up, you know, cable two. We can just move up a whole step. Whole and step, now yeah. I'm doing the same stuff I would have been doing, but I'm just in second <laughs> position. <laughs> the funnest thing for me as a piano player is when I said, "Oh, we're on cable 3 I'm like, "Okay, so what note are you starting for?" G. I was like, "Okay, G, A flat, A flat." Okay. <laughs> that, well, if you're, and if you're playing a keyboard, you can just go boop, 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 and change, transpose the oh, whole. Oh, that's, oh, I, oh my gosh. That's going to make it so much easier. For, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Just hit the transposition. Tips well, the, and tricks. Yeah. Tips, there's, there's actually a hysterical video if you YouTube it. It's of this like uh, organist who's playing the uh, Messiah. And it's like right at the end. They're hallelujah, mm-hmm. hallelujah. And he must have hit the transposition button because it is he. They go to hit it, huh? And it is this god awful <laughs> chord? It's hysterical. And like he plays that chord, he plays the next chord, he plays the last chord, and then he hits the button and it goes into the right key. And it's it's so funny. You're like, well, that guy's never getting hired again. That's so funny. Yeah. 
that's a genius tactic because I, I would have to transpose on the spot, which granted has is a skill you need to know because you, you never know, know anyway. if you're gonna be go to the place and they have a baby grand there and you need to know how to do it. And uh, to be fair, I don't think my piano has that ability either. So there's also that. That's probably why I didn't think about it. Uh, um, but yeah, transposing on the spot skill you need to learn. Uh, if your piano is a transpose, even better. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes. Um, but yeah, learning how learning how to watch the the guitar hands. For sure, has been one of the most helpful things for me. It's because, uh, yeah, I know I know all the basic chords. Granted, you got, you got to realize, guitar it's either in E, it's either in G, it's either in C. Yeah, pretty much. Or yeah. D as okay, well. Yeah, I mean it's all usually fair, especially with band stuff. And if I mean if you're playing in a regular band all the time, right. you just learn what the song is going to sound like. Of course, right? Of yeah. course, of course. But like if you're like on the spot and they throw in something on the set, you got it's it's only four keys that you really need to learn, and and the chord shapes because they're all similar keys they overlap. It's only one. And even if they're doing a bar chord, it still slightly resembles the chord. The chord, yeah, yeah, in the regular position. And you could fig- you could figure it out from there too. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not that hard uh, to do, and it will give you so much more room. To uh, do whatever you whatever you need to do in the moment, right? And also ear training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. I mean, I I just was listening to your episode with uh, Tony uh, Anthony Paracini, and he's talking about the ear training stuff. And yes, it's the I think um, I hated melodic dictation, which is when like, oh, yeah. you take the music and then you write it down. I'm awful at that. No, I just. Yeah. But the being able to look at music and hear if somebody's playing a wrong note or being able to listen to the chord structure, I irritate the crap out of my girlfriend whenever she plays music on her in the car or something, and I'll notice it's the chord progression of a different song, and then I do, like, a mashup on the spot. My favorite is, like, this one Jonas Brothers song that lines up perfectly with Last Christmas, and I was like, I can't be the only person who noticed this. And like, I Google it, and someone had already made a match. Oh my goodness! <laughs> but yeah, being able to like actually hear and listen—that's the most, I mean, most, most important, important skill, skill from that class is being and being able to look at a piece of music and hear it and kind of like visually hear it, and then when you play with a group, be like, something's wrong. Right, let's go. Yeah. Let's break down this one section. I, oh yeah, 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 you, dude, you're accidentally not holding the accidental over to right. This. Or maybe there's a typo in the music, which in the musical theater world, there's lots of there's typos. There's many typos. And many people who don't know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Writing music, they should never. Oh, yeah. 100%. Especially if you... The one thing that's been beneficial playing in bands is there's a few musicals. There's not a lot. There's some musicals that have more of a country-western feel. Mm. So when I did went to Toad and Pole Playhouse, I played um, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. And that book, I mean, they're just moments where it's just they have the chords written or yep. things like that and figure like it out. yeah i and um yeah just figure out what you want to do or the, um i played bright star up in reading at genesius theater and like there are it is literally a fiddle book it is some solos but then there's parts where it's like improv and it just writes the chords or they'll like do a fill here or things like that and if being playing in bands that has given me an advantage there's only there's there's probably more than I know, but there's only a couple people who I think I would hire to do right. that kind of thing. 
there's lots of musicians and violists who I would hire to do lots of other stuff, and they're way better at me, way better than me at that. But I, I think it is a valuable skill knowing how to do the kind of improv musical stuff. And I love playing it. It's so fun. It, yeah, I'm, and you're going to have so much, so much fun. Uh, for sure. Moving on from improv, improv uh, whatever that, that name is called. Um, <laughs> you also teach choir and orchestra. What is it like to go from playing, excuse me, playing to like directing? Uh, okay, so I did choir for four years teaching elementary chorus. And it's funny because I am not the greatest piano player. And by that I'm saying I'm not a good piano player. Um, I have recently been teaching myself because I think it would open up more doors for me if I was better at it. But I remember taking piano proficiency in college, passing, taking it behind my dorm and burning the paper on fire <laughs> and saying I'm never playing the piano again. And then I taught choir for four years. Right, <laughs> so yeah. um, I, so I, it was fun. It was enjoyable because I had a, a, an like a, a auditioned choir, which I know that's kind of crazy for an elementary school to have an auditioned choir. Yeah, and I did make cuts, which was... <laughs> That's, yeah. Hey, uh, it's not early. an honors choir. If there's 80 kids in the in the grade and 60 of them want to be in it, that's fair. I so I like limited it down to like 30. But working on like Carol the Bells and getting them to actually sing harmonies was really really cool. But it just I knew it wasn't something that I was passionate about. It would drive me crazy. It, and well, choir itself, and this goes in the music world too. It's it's just make a sound. Now shut up. I'm going to give you a correction. Now make another sound. Now shut up. Now I'm going to give you another correction. It's just, and I, there are, maybe it's just when you put an instrument in someone's hand, they're just less likely to just talk the moment um, you have a moment where you're doing correcting. And I feel like with choir, you're teaching a lot of skills with uh, instrumentalists already have a couple of those skills, like the note reading and the, mm-hmm. and the rhythm and stuff. Whereas with choir, you're teaching them the parts, you're teaching them the rhythm, you're teaching them Listen. listening, you're teaching okay. them oral skills. So I, people who are really good choir directors, I really respect. Because I know, even just from my brief experience with it, whew, that is like its own world. And right. then there's like the music directors who do the musicals and stuff who are like, I'm very blessed with most of my positions. I only usually am involved with the pit. Mm. We usually have like a vocal director who works with the actors. I collaborate with the vocal director. I come in, run the pit, drive the... I I refer to it as driving the boat. Right. (laughs) Because you have some control, but you can't just... You can't just like change everything when you're trying... When you have a cast on stage and you have like 10 to 15 people in your pit... You can't just say, all right, I'm going to do this and everything's going to just move quick. It's it's like driving a boat. You have mm. control, but you don't have all the control. No. Um, uh, I don't know where I was going with that thought, but I respect choir teachers who <laughs> a lot. God bless them. And I have some very good friends who teach choir. Um, but orchestra, I prefer working with uh, instrumentalists. I don't like when people are like musicians because singers are musicians. Yes. 100%. Um, I prefer working with instrumentalists just because it's a world probably that I just feel more comfortable in because I am a violinist. Um, so now I teach orchestra with kids. It's it's really interesting. I mean, as I said, you learn a lot. Oh, my gosh. You learn so many little, like, every minuscule thing you don't think about when you're playing, you have to think about when you're teaching. 
um, from the way you hold stuff to the way they stand to the way they have carry their weight because you don't want to have them set up with bad position that then they have to deal with doctors later on in life i mean how many musicians do we know who have to go to physical therapy or special doctors for something pinched nerves or things so you just i mean it's a honing of a craft and it's a it's a place where you you get to know your your craft very intimately and then you have to learn how to express it to young minds and make it exciting and make mm-hmm. it fun or make it a game and they don't even know they're learning. I'm fortunate that like, most of my kids are pretty, like, orchestra kids are a certain breed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're a little different than your band kids. Not, I mean, I love band kids because I did do band through high school. I did uh, the bra- low brass stuff. And so I love band stuff. But orchestra kids are a little more type A. Um, and... They they're usually pretty with it. I can usually just explain it to a good chunk of them. I also have a COVID happened, which resulted in me flipping my classroom. So what that means is all the basic concepts that I teach in the first couple lessons, I have videos for each concept oh, and a website that I they can. So I teach it to them, or we watch it in the lesson. Then when they go home, because they're gonna inevitably forget yep. something. They can actually just go to that website, watch the same thing again so that they can get it. And then I've had parents tell me they love it because they're like, we don't know anything about teaching our kid the violin. We don't know if they're holding it right or not. So having that video, they're like, oh, I can actually, I know what my kid's doing. And then eventually, you know, we don't need those anymore and we're learning note reading and stuff. But yeah, so being a, a teacher is a whole different set of skills that you know you just dive in and you learn and if you want to get better you put in the work to get it um i think my advisor dr dixon from college he said everything you learn in college is to help you get through your first year teaching everything after that is on you yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of what what i've heard um and then the music directing stuff that sprang up kind of weirdly um, so as I said, I, um, throughout high school was in musicals. I was always in the cast and singing and doing stuff like that. And I really do love performing. Um, and what happened was I got out in the world. I actually never played in a pit orchestra until I was an adult. <laughs> I had been in multiple like musicals, but I'd never played in a pit ever. Um, and Aww. I know kind of crazy because it's like a huge thing of what i do now um and what happened was joe mcnulty um he is the concert master for the central penn symphony and he's the blue he's the the violinist from colbrook road Mm. um okay we met and we kind of just hit it off and he needed a sub for sweeney todd at harrisburg theater harrisburg and what's funny is i had auditioned to be in sweeney todd Got a call back for Anthony, didn't get Anthony, got put in the chorus, realized I had a concert, had to drop out of the show, and then I got hired to sub in the pit. I walk in for that rehearsal, the music director looks at me, and I'm like, yeah, I just keep moving down the ladder. <laughs> <laughs> like, almost almost one of the leads in the chorus, now I'm in the hole. Um, and I will tell you, Sweeney Todd is not a show that I recommend substituting for. It, 
it was kind of like trial by fire. I mean, I did not know what I was doing. I'm sure I crapped the bed multiple times throughout that, but it opened a door. And then I was able to do a few more subbing jobs. I feel like that's how everybody gets into musical theater. Right. Is you sub, you do a pretty good job, and then the regular isn't available that we, for that run or something. But then I acted in t- three shows because I wanted to be in the show. And then what happened is the person who was in charge of Theater Harrisburg at that time, he's no longer there, he's off doing other things, um, he noticed, he's like, oh. Caleb plays in the pit, but he also knows what he's doing when it, with the actors. Let's give him an opportunity. And the first thing I ever did, everything is like trial by fire in my life, is getting thrown into something and just trying to swim. That's um, sometimes the best way to learn things, oh, for sure. Oh, because it's, what it was, it was a New Works Festival. So mm-hmm. it was all these people submitted things, and then they were just stage productions. So, you know, just the actor on the stage with their script in their hand, nothing memorized. Which is easy to do with a play, but not with a musical, because you're still, like... You sight reading? So they... No, but we put together basically a musical in, like, 28 hours, and then performed it one night. So that, I learned how to teach parts a little better. I used as much, like, computer and stuff. Like, I would make rehearsal tracks and things like that, which I think is one of the best things if you're teaching vocals for a musical. Vocal tracks... Vocal tracks. You can't assume anything with actors. Some actors are phenomenal musicians who have their masters and know how to read music and probably could direct the choir better than you. And then you also sometimes have Joe Schmo who just has a great voice but doesn't know anything about reading music but is still a phenomenal performer. So rehearsal tracks, and I learned how to do... uh, That was a mini pit. It was literally just keyboard and cello and me, which um, was fun. But I learned that, and then I did company at uh, Hershey Area Playhouse, and that was, like, my first experience with a big pit. And, com- again, these are such dumb a dumb way to do. You should not start with Sondheim as, like, your no, first, you first musical pit gig that you're conducting. conducting. That's just, like, I mean, I'm glad I did it. I learned a lot, but the guy who was playing keys for me for that show, Nick Warner, he, he could have done it better than I could have. But it was a really good opportunity. And I learned how to lead a group that's large. Mm. And um, that, just, you know, doing it, getting opportunities, now doing more stuff at um, Hershey, uh, at uh, Keystone Theatrics, Allen Gary Playhouse. Um, I did, uh, done, I did Anything Goes for them, which was fun, because we had the pit on stage as, like, a cruise ship. That's cool. And... And then I actually did my master's, like, project was we did It Should Have Been You, which is, like, this small little jazz show. That's pretty awesome. And then I did their Christmas show, gosh, their 2019 Christmas show, uh, which is, um, oh, gosh, It's a Wonderful Life, which is an awful musical. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not It's a Wonderful Life. I misspoke. Um, um, I don't like It's a Wonderful Life, but that's that's another controversial statement for another day. Um, It was Miracle on 34th Street. Oh, yeah. It's the only other musical written by Meredith Wilson who did Music Man. Mm. He shouldn't have written it. It's awful. It's it's, I mean, it's a Christmas show. It was always, you know, we sold a ton of tickets because it's a Christmas show. But it is... It is not my favorite show in the world. Um, but 
I mean, I love getting to run a pit, and my next opportunity to run a pit um, is going to be in October. Um, we're doing the Adams Family musical at Keystone. Keystone, yeah. Yeah, at Allenberry. That's I'll be running the pit for that one, which is fun because Halloween is my favorite holiday. Um, I mean, my house is already decorated for Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> and I started, like, August 1st. <laughs> so... Um, and that'll be fun. It's actually funny because the last show I conducted before COVID and our, was I was doing the pit for Susquehanna Township's uh, Susquehanna Township High School's musical, and they were doing the Adams Family. Our opening night was March thirteenth, twenty twenty. Oh my god! <laughs> so right. it was we had the ev- day. it was the day. So we had everything ready. These poor high school kids. We've done the whole tech week. It's the the opening mm-hmm. night. And they clo- we cancel the show. Now I will say what we did is we did an- we did a performance that Friday night with no audience, and we recorded the show mm, so that okay. the seniors Good. would have some. Something. Now that's totally not legal. <laughs> You're not supposed to do that. But we were allegedly. Like, yeah, this I, happened. I, I, maybe we recorded it. Um, there's rumors. There's rumors. Yeah. Um, so that the seniors would have some sort of thing to go home with. Um, but yeah, so that was my last show conducting and my first show back to conducting will be that same exact show. That's, so, another, that's another flashpoint. Where were you? When yeah. March yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Yeah. I know I, exactly where I was. We were supposed to go to Ireland that oh, day and sing. Oh. We, were gonna, we were supposed to go sing around in, in St. Patrick's Cathedral all across Ireland, uh, our college, and the day before we were supposed to leave, I, March thirteenth was like a was like a Thursday, wasn't it? Or th- yeah, so Thursday or Friday? I think the thirteenth was the Friday, but the twelfth things were already 12th starting to shut down because yeah. we made the decision on the twelfth to not do it. The yeah, next, like it was that was really rough, and, and I I mean I had to email my musicians and be like. Well, I will say I was very happy with our producer for that show. They still paid the musicians, mm. even though they didn't play the last couple shows. Some of my musicians said, I'll only take the money for the thing I did. Some who are, they are gigging musicians. They needed that money. And so of course. I was glad. Actually, Tony Wayne was the guitarist oh. for me for that show. So we, and obviously his whole world shut down too, because Dutch Apple had to close and all those other places. And then slowly but surely, now the theaters are starting to open again. Um, and, you know, it's, I've done a lot of playing, which was actually good because I, I had done like four shows in a row conducting, and I just wanted a moment to play my violin again. <laughs> it's, you know, sometimes you get like edged into these boxes that uh, you didn't even sign up for, and you're like, I'm glad I'm in that box, but I also can do this. I also like doing these things, too. Speaking, so. speaking about going outside the box, your music has appeared on TV shows. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the the Lifetime thing was super weird. Uh, as as the whole... Pre- I, do you know the premise of the show? I don't know the premise okay, of the show. Okay, so the premise of Married at First Sight is that... I could imagine it, though. I mean, it, it's in the title. So the, the literally, they... Do, they meet each other at the wedding. They get hitched. They go two weeks on a honeymoon, and then they like live, I think, together for like a month or two or three, and then they decide whether they're going to stay together or not. And they're set up together by like a religious leader, a psychotherapist, and like a, something else. That's they so do all weird. of it. That's... Yeah, and it was a very strange way I got it because so 
I'm in a million Facebook groups. There's like right, all for Central PA musicians, yep. Central PA pit musicians, and then there's ones that are based out same same concept based out of Jersey, yep. Philadelphia, and it was I think it was the Philadelphia um, pit musician Facebook group, and either I think it's Louis Pettinelli. He's a very big contractor, actually, like nationwide. Um, he had this post. It was very cryptic. It was like, I need musicians for a gig. There's no pay, which is usually a sign like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like, but you'll be on a TV show that'll be in front of millions of people. <laughs> I can't say what it, like, I can't say what it is, but I can call it. So I message, I, I comment on him like, I'm in the area. I'm available this Saturday. Like, what's I'll up? He's like, I'll call you. So he calls me, explains what it is. He's like, all you got to do, you got to show up at this time. You play public domain music and then you leave. And he's like, normally he's like, I don't do any of this stuff. If they ex- exposure stuff, but he's like, this is one of the, I'm one of those things that is like pretty interesting enough that I'm willing to do it. And I said, yeah, I mean, it's, it's great when, you know, brides are looking at my contracting business and they saw that I played on a bridal TV show. Right, of course. Um, so, but yeah, it was, that was, it was, ex- it is exactly what it is. Those people did not know each other at all. Um, I played like a couple, like, you know, probably Canon and D, Yezu, all the standards. They Were you like on the set? Wasn't mm-hmm. it? Oh, yeah. wow. I mean, That's oh, yeah. Cool. Oh, yeah. It wasn't like I played and they canned it in no i was there and you can see me in the in the in the episode that's so cool Uh, yeah i've got a cool little cool screenshot of me playing um and it's i mean it's i think it's on hulu or netflix yeah Yeah. so it it was really cool um the guy walks down the only thing that's interesting is they make it seem like it's seamless when they do it in the episode but it is like this guy walked out all the people and his guests are there his family her family and everybody's like, this is weird. Yeah, because right, oh my gosh. So, so they're, like, they're like taking breaks, like, hey, we need to reset. Well, everything. that what happened is they he walks down the aisle, he stands up at the front, and then they have to wait till everything is ready to do, like, the bridesmaids walk in and then the bride. But that poor guy, he's marrying a stranger, and he's standing up there for eight, at least, In front like, of her family In front well. of her family <laughs> for, like, ten minutes. And, like, he introduced himself to the mother of the bride. He's like, hi, my name is... <laughs> Dude, that's and he's so like, wild. it's so funny, and he, it's so he's like sweating bullets up there, right? And, but he's like very personable, and you're like, I know why they chose him. He's gonna make great TV, right? Of course, of course. <laughs> and then she came down. They got married. They exited. I went home, and then I hung out with friends that afternoon, evening. Like, and uh, the only thing they were like, you can't say anything about it until like, it of airs. course, yeah. Uh, yeah, right, yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's how I got on that show. It was pretty. It was just one episode. Just one episode, and the couple is still together. I like to think ah. because of my playing at their wedding, it was that moving. That's so. <laughs> that's at least that's good. That's good. Yeah, they're still together. Last time I checked. <laughs> that's incredible. So, but you also started. So you also started. You mentioned how this was good for your business. Talk about how you started that. Uh, why you started that. All yeah. That um. So Sea Stone Music weddings and events. Um, so it, I didn't know what a contractor was until I was one. Uh, so what happened was I, you know, just growing up being a pastor's kid and playing the violin, I've been playing at weddings since probably like seventh or eighth grade. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and whether it was at first it was just by myself 
And then in college, we put together like a duo and a quartet and we would do a couple gigs, you know, like three or four a year. And, you know, you like start making a YouTube page and other things and trying to get your name out there. Um, and then moved over here, put together a few different groups for things for just playing for weddings or retirement parties. And I mean, I, when I was 22, 23, 24, I sent a million cold emails to, mm -hmm. I mean, we've all been there as beginner musicians. You've sent you, and it's funny because now I get those emails from people like, hey, I'm from this and I play the flute. Well, right. yeah. Um, so I sent like a million cold emails. I started to build a pretty good relationship with the guy who did stuff at Liberty Forge, which is like a golf course in Mechanicsburg. He would like recommend me. And I think one of the things that I came up with pretty quickly was I had this form that I would send to the couple and it was, it was covered all the, all the things I needed to know, like date, time, location, right. indoor, outdoor, what type of musicians, what are you thinking of mu for music for your wedding? Cause up until then, like it was very like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And you have like 30 emails from the same bride. And you're like, where is the information that I needed yep. from that one thing? And I was right like, now. what <laughs> if we streamline it? Everything gets answered right at the beginning. And then I can give them an accurate price because I actually know all the information. So that was like the first thing. And it was a Word document. That's not how I do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I did that for a while. And then I built a website because I just kind of wanted to build my own website. And my website at the beginning was really just like half marketing for myself. Half. Marketing like for marketing for business stuff. Um, and when uh, COVID hit, I made that website completely about my business and no longer about me. Um, but I think what really happened is I, we had a bride who needed to reschedule. And it was on a day that I was already busy and I couldn't play it. But I had musicians and I trusted them. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can handle this and send them out and they'll play it and they'll get a they'll do a good job and that'll work. And that's where the whole contracting thing started. I just took um I I what I like to do is I like to make it as um positive experience as it can be for the the musicians and as positive an experience as it can be for the client. Of course. Um and I am the person in the middle who makes that happen. Um, so brides, what event planners, they come to my website. They see my musicians. They see the quality that we have. We have recordings of like almost everybody. I've gotten bios, et cetera, et cetera. They see that. They fill out a questionnaire. It's a bit of a longer questionnaire, but there's Worth a reason it. for oh, it. Yeah. yeah. And they fill it out. I get this email. If it's a string group, like a duo, trio, quartet, I set the pricing. I send it out then. Um, I think Anthony Pericini was like one of the first groups that I'd started adding to my roster that was not a string group. That was like a blue, was, was more jazz, like the Pericini right. trio. Um, and I started putting them as an option. And then it just grew from there. I was like, you know what? I've got friends who are harpists. I should put them on there as well. And then what happens is I'll have all the details. I send the details to the harpist or anthony you and they'll say i am available that day i'm not available that day and they'll send me a price of what they'd want and then i tell them don't don't mark the date off don't do anything i'll double check with you if they want to fight 
And then I get to be the person who says, these are the prices. And there's either two options. There's A lot of people think they're going to haggle with you, but like when it's your wedding and stuff, people don't haggle. They really just say, I guess that's the price. Right, yeah, they, yeah. So I either hear an answer that says, yes, I'd love to do that, or they go radio, radio silent, <laughs> and I never hear from them again. Um, and then, so I started doing that, and I leaned into the contracting business a lot when COVID happened, because I need a project. Uh, all the theaters closed. I was at home working from home for teaching. I need a project. Idle hands are the devil's work. Yeah. Um, devil's playground, or I don't know how exactly, but um, I needed a project, so I leaned into that. I, um, I had already met with my Google specialist guy beforehand, but I have a friend who's a cellist, and her brother is like the Google guy. He worked for this one tech firm, and like his job was to make you pop up at the top when you. Get Google, yeah. when people are Googling for your thing. And I mean, it's funny because people pay him hundreds and hundreds of dollars and we just met at his house and I brought over pizza. <laughs> and he like looked at my website and he's like, there's a lot of good things here, but you need to do this, 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 this. And he knew all this like under the hood stuff about websiting that I I did it for him and I, I did it and I forgot about it, but it worked. <laughs> Like, I couldn't tell you how to do what he told me to do. Right. But I did all those things, whether it was, like, writing in, like, this code underneath stuff and, like, uh, setting up Google Analytics and things like that. Stuff that, you know, you just don't, don't know. know. And, and you just have to ask. Can't find out. You have to, as, you know, you have to meet people and talk with them and they will show you. And he was like, you, he's like, you need to have a Facebook page for it. I was like, I don't. Mm-hmm. I think it's because I was in the theater world and like every single actress in her early had 20s has a Facebook page. And I was just like, Ugh, I don't want to be like a- advertising myself. Maybe it's just the, the pride thing. Right. But he's like, you need to have it. And he's like, and he he taught he taught me the value of reviews. Speaking of which, if you want to help us out, please do leave a review. That is one of the best ways to help out this podcast and show it to other people is truth. And and people might be, but it's true. It's absolutely true. Mm -hmm. Uh, Facebook, leave us a review. Whether you like it or not, I don't care. Leave us a review. Um, If you don't like it, review it and give it a good reason. Give us us a good reason why it's bad. Um, But seriously, though. Review us. That's how we. That's how we get more traction on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Yeah, I mean, reviews are so important. Like, uh, I think right now we're at thirty six five star reviews on Google. A good rating on wedding, a wedding wire, and Zola, and I mean, gosh, Facebook. It's just, it's just, it's crucial, especially it's, yeah. in like the wedding business. And like I think I read a study, it's like most people will tr- will trust reviews from complete strangers. Yeah. But if there's and you know it's just a it's a snowball effect. You grow a base, and like now if you Google ceremony musicians Harrisburg, now there's going to be like three or four paid advertised Google ones up the top. But then when they go down to the map, and they mm-hmm. have like the three that they suggest, it goes Clock Entertainment, which is a DJ company that actually uses us. <laughs> and then me. <laughs> so it's 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 so important. It's important and like it's so f- interesting. Um I didn't even list my business on Yahoo, but it's on Yahoo cuz they just data mine it from right. other other websites. 
So that is part of like making it really a positive experience for the client. But then the second thing is making it a positive experience for your musicians mm -hmm. so that they will work, want to work with you and trust you. And I think what I noticed is lots of people are phenomenal musicians, but they aren't good business people. Absolutely. And he's um, in point here. And, <laughs> and I am pretty good at the business side of things, but I also know what musicians need and want. And they, they want to know, they don't want to have to deal with talking with clients. Nope. They don't want to deal like having, cause there's some, you know, you have to deal with some, you know, unreasonable requests. Yes. Uh, is how I'll phrase it. And I'm okay with being the bad guy who politely says, I'm sorry at this time, we cannot accommodate that smiley face. Oh, yeah, right, right? Right, right, yeah. We're working on that for the near future or things like that. Or So they, they don't like dealing with clients. They just want to show up and play. They want to get their check and they want to go. Leave. Yep. Leave, exactly. And I try to make it as seamless for the musician who I'm sending out there. Like, yes, this weekend there I had three weddings. I only played one of them. Mm. I had a violinist go out. She played it. She took a photo for me. She got her check. She went home. My, I had a harpist play yesterday in New Cumberland. She came in, played. She had already gotten paid and went home. And it just, it was very seamless. I also protect them. Um, right. Having a contract ha with the client, which is something I learned the hard way. You know, you need a contract. You need a contract. You need a deposit because you need to know that they're really committed. <laughs> right, yeah. Because there'll be people who will cancel their wedding or downsize their wedding or things like that. And then you've I've screwed over that musician. For the night. Because yeah. they said no to XYZ because they had a gig with me. So usually what happens is I give them the musician's depo the deposit from that couple. Um, or in the case of... Honestly, it doesn't, not just the string world, protection in, when it comes to like environment stuff, like not making musicians play in extremely cold weather. Uh, we, I've had that problem before, and fortunately, my musicians were really understanding. I told them that'll never happen again, and now we have a very, like, very binding clause in the contract about like, we will not play in below this degree. We will, and the other one is coverage, because sometimes people will be like, well, it's not raining, it's only sprinkling. Doesn't really doesn't matter, doesn't doesn't matter, matter. if oh a little God. bit of rain goes on uh, my you know cello or cellist's so, instrument. Oh it's a big God. deal, and I've had people try to say like, "Well, we'll put out this one like umbrella," and it's like an umbrella for like a table, not actual coverage. Right. So now, like my contract says, we like the coverage is at the discretion of the musician who is playing. So the fact that and the fact that I've told musicians, I said, "This is what it says." If they try to make you do something that you don't feel comfortable, let me know. I will be the bad guy. Right. I will take the brunt. I will tell them no. You don't have to worry about that at all. And then one of the last things I do is I do not let people make song requests for background music because it's no one's listening. No one's listening. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, so what I do is I say you can choose classical. You can choose contemporary. You can choose jazz. That's it. <laughs> you, for your wedding, we will do whatever you want. For the actual, I mean, yesterday, yeah, right, right. Yesterday's wedding was at uh, Hershey Gardens, and the wedding couple, the wedding party, walked down to across the stars from Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, <laughs> which is a gorgeous, yeah, right. like, and we, I, I arranged it was for violoncello and guitar, 
And then she walked down to a country tune, and then they exited to Viva La Vida. So for your wedding, I will make Whatever everything happens. happen. I will if I have to write the for music. The ceremony, if right? I yeah, for the actual ceremony, I will write the music. I will arrange the music. I will hire someone else to arrange the music. Um, but for background music, just no. Just no. let us. It's a. It's people are talking. They don't care what yeah. what for you're dinner, playing for dinners. If for dinners whatever. and cocktail hours, they're just having a good time, and it's to create an aesthetic. That's actually the name of the clause on the contract. It says creating an aesthetic. And it defines what background music... And musicians, when I tell them that, they love that. Because they're like, cool. I only have to really work on the music that's going to be in the wedding. And then you just trust me to play whatever I want to for pre-ceremony or cocktail hour. Right, or I could do the million jazz things. Right, I mean, yeah, just sit down. I mean, um, on the 24th, um, Yang Han, he's one of my guitar players. He's doing a jazz set and he could I'm just like if you want to just work through the real book that's fine I trust you just make it as, as long as it sounds good so we're kind of running out of time here I, I wanted to ask you a few more questions before we sign off uh, you're a Christian what mm-hmm. is worship to you Ooh. so I do have an answer for this I just need one second in my brain to organize it um, so worship heard this from a professor and i'm paraphrasing because i wish i could say it is when we acknowledge our relationship with god in like seeing the vastness of him or you know god God. i don't want to gender god god has no gender um are are just you know right so seeing the vastness of him and then seeing your perspective from like how large God is. So, you know, in some forms for people, that is music. Mm-hmm. I really only feel like I'm worshiping with music when I sing in a choir, which I don't do very much anymore. Huh. Um, or, and I, there are so many lame Christians who use it as the excuse to get not go to church. In, in na- I worship in nature, man. Right. Um, I will say that when I go on a hike and I'm like at the top of the mountain and I'm looking down, and I see just, like, the vastness of the horizon. And I think about, like, God loves me. And I am so tiny compared to this massive thing. Like, it just puts in perspective um, your relationship with God. That, you know, I am but a speck in this u- vast universe. And yet he loves me so much that he's willing to send his son to die for our sins. So... That's where I think, I think it's wherever you can get to that point where you can put it in perspective and you acknowledge what he's done for you and his love for you and also, you know, what your um, part is and what you can do Mm. for him, you know, um, in using your gifts, you know, in different ways. With all that said, where can people find you? Okay, uh, my website is cstellmusic.com, so that's C-S-T-E-L-L-E music.com. All of the socials are at cstellmusic. Um, got some gigs coming up um, literally this afternoon if you're in Harrisburg <laughs> and you want to see Jolene, a Dolly Parton song cycle. It's going to be a free show oh, at wow. 6 p.m., at Open Stage Harrisburg. Oh, I won't be so that that's gonna be I'm gonna be sitting in and playing two songs. Uh, Rascal Revival is playing at the Englewood 
on September 29th. It's the last day of September. Yeah, last. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know because I'm seeing a Penn State game the next day on October 1st. Last weekend, rather. Yeah, the last weekend. And then the Adams family is going to be running the last three weekends of 30th. October at Allenberry Playhouse. Come on out. We have a phenomenal cast. We had 60 people audition. I know that's cr- that's a yeah. huge amount for a little community theater. It's going to sound really, really good. I mean, I'm very excited. Um, so, yeah. And if you want to follow us, you can search us up at The Story, Corey Rosen, C-O-R-Y-R-O-S-E-N. You can follow us anywhere, Spotify, Music, Apple. Uh, Apple Music, that is, not Music Apple. Um, <laughs> Spotify, Instagram, Facebook. If you want to check out all of our uh, upcoming guests this week, we are... This is a lot. We have a lot of guests this week. We have uh, more guests than days this week. Whoa. You're, yeah, you're the first one uh, to kick it Marathon. off. Marathon. Yeah. We have Ben Brandt in the Soul Miners Union. Uh, yeah, he, he's coming on tomorrow. We have Brand, uh, Brandon Valentine, the founder and uh, founder of the Central Pennsylvania Music Hall of Fame. We have uh, on Tuesday, and then Andrew Paul is later that night. We have Mike Bitts coming on Wednesday at 10 a.m. Uh, we have Chris Keeney, a, a returning guest. He is one of the directors in the Churches of Lancaster that is escaping my name right now. But he's bringing a really cool old instrument called the oud. And I'm excited to see how that works and maybe try to play it. We have Logan Kurtek, a saxophone player. He plays with Bob, Bobby Gentello, and uh, he's from Australia, I've heard. So I'm excited to talk to him. And then uh, the last one to end off this week will be Luther and ba- uh, Barbara Tyree, uh, one of whom uh, the Luther has played music for a long time, and Barbara now makes jewelry out of music equipment. So oh. if you, yeah, if you have, if you have some sentimental stuff. Uh, in terms of music, you send them to her, make make ra- bracelets, rings, and other furniture, including as well. Like Furniture? Yeah. So I'm really excited to, to talk to them and see how they do that. With all that said, if you want to really support the podcast, be sure to like, subscribe, share, comment, buy our merchandise. That also really definitely helps us a lot. Mm. And leave a review, for sure. Reviews are important. Reviews are important. With all that said, I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of the day. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Bye.